Hello, everyone, and welcome to Rebel News' Daily Roundup. I am your host, Adam Sosa, and today I'm joined by the one and only Sid Vizard. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing all right. It's a pleasure to be joining you today. It's an exciting day. There's a lot in the news we're going to be covering. And Adam, how are you doing today? Oh, great. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It is going to be fun. Lots to talk about. Um, a little bit of good news, a little bit of bad news, some exciting events coming up. Lots to discuss. But before we get into those stories, uh, I want to chat about some of the nuts and bolts of the show. So uh, if you're watching this right now, you're probably watching us on Rumble, Odyssey, YouTube, Getter. If you're watching us somewhere else, I'm surprised. Let us know where you're watching us. Uh, but uh, one of the places or one of the things that I want you to consider is if you are watching this uh, on YouTube... That's great. We're happy to have you. But do consider switching over to one of these sort of more free speech oriented platforms. Rumble, they're not advocating an agenda, but what they're doing is they're providing an opportunity for people to share their perspectives without censorship, without agenda. So it's great to support uh, media outlets that work in that way. The other fun thing with Rumble is you can engage with us with Rumble Rants. You chip in a few bucks. It helps us run this show, keep the lights on, do all this important work. And then we get to interact with you, unlike the mainstream media out there that only interacts with their government handlers. Um, we actually like feedback from you guys. That way we can know if we're, we're staying on, on topic or if there's something you want us to discuss, any questions you might have. We love interacting with you. Really, the paid chats are probably my favorite part of this whole thing. Now, you can also check us out by uh, supporting us on Locals.com. You get access to all of our stuff that'd be on a normal social media stream. But there's also some like exclusive content that you wouldn't get anywhere else. So go to Locals.com. And with that said, we can hop into some stories of the day. Now, for folks out there who are maybe still on the fence about Danielle Smith, maybe think there's some good, some bad, still undecided, uh, here's one politician that you, you don't have to be on the fence about this is probably the most Ralph Klein energy thing that I have seen in in a long time. Uh, this is a Rick Bell column, um, and the title reads: "Smith Cabinet Minister guts the left's lunacy on drug addiction." Dan Williams believes strongly in the Alberta government's pledge to put people into treatment who are in danger to themselves and others. Now, this is the uh, sort of treatment program that we have been talking about, the Alberta model um, that has been widely embraced, whether it be by First Nations communities, people. We've had the opportunity to go to some of the facilities <clears throat> that are doing this work. Uh, the UCP not only removed the $40 a day uh, sort of charge that the NDP and previous Conservative governments had in place for people seeking addiction, uh, but they also opened more beds than have ever been opened in the history of Alberta and are continuing to open new clinics with a special emphasis in uh, many of the First Nations communities that are affected. Now, progressives have, have sort of targeted this and they're advocating for harm reduction, which is effectively free, quote unquote, safe drugs as a better alternative. Um, but I think you and I know that there's no such thing as free or as, as safe hard drugs, nor are there such a thing as free drugs. Someone's always paying for these things. But it's incredible. Dan Williams knows that there's going to be backlash on this. And I want to read some of his comments. And then said, I want to pick your brain about what it's like to hear a politician talking like this. This is an elected official in Alberta. He said, I couldn't care less what progressives and media and the radical activists say. He knows that there's, and this is Bell commenting, he knows what he says and he supports will cause social media wrath to rain down upon him. But it's incredible. He said that the sort of outcome of these free drug supplies are misery, carnage, and death. He said there aren't other options. The only thing left for us to do is to intervene. And Williams points at these progressive policies as having caused these chaos. The left's best thinking has gotten us 
uh, excuse me, sorry, uh, an ad popped up. The, less, the left's best thinking has gotten us to this point. The idea we need more of the left's thinking to solve this problem is insanity, said the point man on mental health and addictions for the UCP government under Smith. For two decades, the progressive left has held a monopoly on policies around addiction. Their logic, the, their logic is we haven't done enough of it. It's obvious the radical progressive left has failed Alberta, Canada, North America, and the West in its thinking on addiction. It, it would destroy us as a province to go down the path further. The only solution is another road. There are some things so crazy you have to be an elected liberal or a socialist to believe them. It's incredible. He goes on and on, but ultimately he says, the solace I take is that we won an election, we told Albertans exactly what we wanted to do. Um, and then he talks about how there's a moral responsibility, finally, to do the right thing and tackle this. Uh, yeah. When's the last time you heard a politician talking like that? Uh, it certainly doesn't happen too often, to say the least. Um, uh, I do think this is very interesting. And obviously, you know, there's there's one point I think that is fair to make here, and that is, has the problem gotten better or worse over the last few years? <laughs> you look around, I don't, I don't think you're going to be able to find somebody who says that the homelessness, the drug addiction problems in Canada have gotten better over these last few years, especially with the lockdowns that our politicians forced on us over the last yeah. uh, couple of years again. And these are leaving people in isolation, destroyed from their families. It, it, the, there's so much harm that has been done and we see the end result of it now. I mean, you look at the streets of Toronto, Vancouver, even you know here in Calgary, you look up at Edmonton, any major city and even a lot of the smaller uh, towns too, yeah. there's homeless problems and there's drug problems associated with them every time. And you find a homeless problem, more than likely you're gonna find a drug problem, unless we're talking about the migration issue uh, that certain areas are facing. But in terms of most of the homeless that we're seeing, it is drugs. Drugs is such a huge problem that they're going through. And look at the policies that we've put forward. Nothing is helping them. Yeah, let's give them drugs. That'll solve the problem. I mean, who, who thought that was a brilliant idea? Um, that's the question I have. Adam, what, what do you take on that? Well, and I mean, the, the fact that they've convinced people, like you talk to people, even somewhat sensible people, and they're like, no, no, but like this harm reduction stuff. Listen, like I know uh, uh, Mike Ellis, another one of the cabinet ministers here, he was a former police officer. And he said that what you see is the, the, the people who are receiving these free supplies, they sell them at a premium to like college kids or whatever, because they're safe and they can sort of sell them for a premium. And then they're buying dirty drugs anyways. And the sort of net outcome is more drugs in the streets. But people have bought into this. They're going along with it. I know I've talked to a few people. I was in Kelowna last week, even in like a, a relatively small sort of resort vacation type atmosphere. There's just there, there's people on the streets. People don't feel uh, state, safe going out. Some of the stories I've heard are just absolute horror stories. And people are like, well, I can't go there anymore. Um, the, this is the mentality and the policies that have led to this. So it, it, it's it's incredible to see that people aren't questioning this. Things are categorically getting worse. And the thing, and I've touched on this before, I'll touch on it again. No one, if this was a member of their own family, would be like, well, I'm gonna go get them the best drugs I can. They'd be like, no, I'm gonna help them get better. And we've reduced, whether it be the homeless community, whether it be people struggling with mental health, whether it be people struggling with, with addictions across all these boards, we've reduced these people to sort of death statistics instead of human beings. That's what we've ultimately come to. And, you know, on the front of whether this is working or not, well, it's interesting, since the sort of Alberta model has been implemented and some of these reduction strategies have come into effect, I think over the course of a year, um, and it's been, it's been advocated more recently, but they were starting to do work on this, but over the course of a year, I believe only two months have been up and 10 months have been down. Those were the most recent statistics I saw. So <clears throat> overall, 10 out of 12 months seeing improvement in these extremely troubling fields that we've we've only seen skyrocketing 
uh, increases in deaths, overdoses, all that stuff. I think that's a pretty good indicator that some well, things are going the right way. But uh, I, I think it's good to see a cabinet minister under Danielle Smith, who has the sort of, I don't know, cojones or at least the freedom to to boldly stand and reject this. You know, the, the strength of his language, we very often see it from the left condemning people. But it's good to see a conservative flipping the script and saying, no, no, you're the ones who are killing people. And we're the ones who care about them and are trying to save their lives. Well, and maybe perhaps just before we go on to the next story, I, I heard either today or, or it was recent, uh, there is a coffee shop in downtown Vancouver, and they had to shut down because over the last couple of years, the homeless problem is just getting worse and worse. He was talking about how, you know, he realized or found out that there were special people you had to call to clean up blood because people were overdosing in their public bathroom. Uh, they, they'd replaced hundreds of windows because the, the glass kept on getting smashed over the years because of uh, the local drug issue that keeps on getting bigger and bigger. So it, on top of this affecting, obviously, the individual's uh, with these addictions or their family members and their friends, uh, it is also this culture of drug addiction, uh, having drug addicts right. roam the streets as though it were no big deal. Yeah, that's exactly the one. Um, th this culture of allowing such violence and such a degradation, uh, I believe that's the right word, of our, our neighborhoods uh, for the sake of drugs is not uh it's not something that's useful for anybody at the end of the day and it causes real harm it destroys communities and the people that are involved well and they use this language of like inclusivity this rhetoric but you're inclusive inclusive of what like carnage death destruction addictions livelihoods lost suicide i don't want to be inclusive of that i want to create a canada where people have opportunities and can ameliorate themselves, but this is not what that is whatsoever. So it's great to see a strong stance uh, against this this madness, and ho hopefully it's effective. Because ultimately, what we are talking about is people struggling, and and the penalty uh, that, that that they're set, that they're suffering is often their very lives. So it it's so critical for me. Uh, when we first heard about this during the Alberta election, I went to the 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 election. It was it was a powerful sort of those people who've lost people. Um, People were working in addiction recovery. Uh, many of the First Nations chief, I speak, they, I spoke there with a chief, Roy Whitney, who lost his own son um, as a consequence of sort of mental illness and addiction. So uh, it was, it was, it became one of the key sort of election issues for me. And we've been doing a lot of stories on that, um, not just in Alberta but across the province. But it is good to see Alberta on so many of these issues taking a strong lead and and saying no, no, no. That, that, that's what Alberta's supposed to be doing. We, we, we pay the bills, we show the, the nation how it's done, and we, we, we do our very best to set a bit of a moral standard that uh, much of the rest of this country, maybe not all of it, but parts seem to have forgotten. So, yeah. Well, and you know, I said that was you know, a last for... note, perhaps, before we go on to the next uh, story here. But yeah. I, I also want to bring to light, there was a situation that happened to me in Lethbridge, Alberta, recently. Uh, we were down there for some court proceedings, and uh, there this is a few months ago. Uh, there was an individual who was homeless, uh, and he was looking around, uh, trying to ask people for smokes or whatever, um, cigarettes. And he he walked past me, and we we struck a conversation. I'm not opposed to you know talking to whoever might come my way. Um, he was obviously homeless, and he was telling me about how he got into that situation. Uh, he used to be a bull rider here in Alberta. You know the rodeos, the guys who you know basically try and tame wild animals and for show. Um, it, you know th that's the gist of it. And there was an accident that he unfortunately suffered through. Um, because of that accident, the doctor prescribed him some, you know, pretty serious drugs. We don't normally think about that when a doctor's handing it to us. Uh, but these right. were serious drugs in the same vein as stuff like heroin, uh, just the light version. Eventually, he got cut off from that supply that he needed for the physical pain he was enduring. And 
he thought it necessary to go to alternative means or go through alternative means to get these drugs. Um, and it, it, it is, there is that impact that we talk about on the streets where there are people destroying businesses, destroying their own lives uh, because of these drugs. But it, it's also how they get into these positions that is something that needs to be talked about. How many people are on the streets because of a prescription a doctor gave them? That's a question I'd like to know. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, you hit something, you hit some, on something there that I want to talk about. And if there is anyone out there who's like a uh, sort of, if you have an established medical practice, particularly if you're a naturopath, I know I'm waiting to hear back from one uh, very well-respected naturopath, but for folks who do want sort of treatments or alternatives or naturopathic outlets, the Trudeau government, and this isn't a new story we have, I'm just kind of going off the cuff, but the Trudeau government seems to be going out of their way. I've had lots of medical professionals reach out um, to heavily restrict, regulate, and limit access to these things. I remember a time when the left were the ones advocating for sort of preventative treatment, whether whether we, we want to call it Eastern medicine, whatever it is, or, or sort of other outlets rather than hard medical pharmaceutical treatments, but it seems that the the left, whether it be the Democrats or the liberals, have been co-opted by big pharma in a very big way. And, and that's part of the reason, too. They're pushing us towards these safe, medically provided things. Where are these supplies coming from? Who are the companies? Who's benefiting from the sort of mass distribution of drugs? Which, don't get me wrong, these drugs aren't free. They're being purchased from companies that are profiting. So there's always that question of where to follow the money. Um, yeah, great conversation, Sid. Appreciate that. Let's jump to our next story. We've got 20 to get through. We spent a quarter of our time on this one, but I think it is a big and important story. So um, this next one, big one, big and important too. Uh, Alberta pauses plan to replace RCMP with provincial police force. The Alberta police force option has been studied and touted by the Alberta government for years. Still, it has faced opposition, including from municipalities over cost implementation and staffing concerns. Uh, the Alberta government has rolled back its pursuit of a provincial police force, contrary to mandate letters sent uh, to Premier Daniel Smith's first cabinet uh, in November. On Tuesday, Justice Minister Mickey Amory told reporters his department continues to consult Albertans on policing despite not receiving explicit directions from Smith in her recent mandate letter. Uh, alongside Public Safety Minister Mike Ellis, then Justice Minister Tyler Shander consulted residents on the need for a provincial police force preceding May's general election. Um, we, folks can check out the article and read it for themselves. You know, I... I I don't know if you're you're I don't know if you have a chance to talk to a lot of people out in the field about this, but even among sort of conservative circles, and despite a lot of what the RCMP has done, and we don't need to get into some of the questionable antics of the RCMP, but I find people are very divided on this. Some might be in, in favor of the idea of sort of subsidiarity and reducing the federal influence and having more authority. But then when they look at the costs and the sort of logistics that go into it, they're sort of like on the fence about it what have you heard or where do you sit on this issue uh well you know it, it is tough to say i can understand there's you know the argument to be had on both sides and i you know i think about it in the sense that well right now alberta's hiring the rcmp it's a contracted service that they provide federal police to uh, basically handle our any affairs that happen outside of edmonton and calgary basically um it, it, they have the infrastructure in place. They have the officers at hand. It makes sense financially, I would think, to just contract them to do the service. However, you look at the the end result of that service, and and I can't help but think about the Coots blockade. Um, you know, yeah. there, there's obviously a lot of legal matters that have evolved out of that. People that have uh, that remain detained uh, to this day. Lots of charges that came through, um, and that was a very large moment where people questioned, okay. 
why do we have the RCMP doing this? What, the, like even the, uh, I, I still remember there's a fish and wildlife uh, truck that they had at the blockade. Yeah, uh, you know, I like remember. The barrier. Uh, they, they were scrambling for resources and, and that was probably one of the more high profile incidents they've had to deal with. Um, did they do a good job? Yeah, you know, <laughs> that's, uh, that's a good question. And I think from that, there was a lot of people that did uh, especially it was revitalized or uh, revived this concept uh, that we should have our own Alberta police force. And at the end of the day, I do think that's the road that we should take. How feasible is that? Well, it seems like uh, uh, the current uh, leadership here says it's probably not likely. So, yeah, well, we'll, we'll see well, how, how this story presents itself in the years ahead. And I mean, you look at the gun grab, you look at some of the heritage front stuff, you look at the the history there, there's certainly problematic things. Now, those things might pop up, but one thing that you got got there perfectly right was, was coots. And I'm sure you probably noticed this as well, but I know I talked to just about every cop who was there, and that was a lot of them over in Milk River. Uh, they had to bring folks in because, one, they didn't want the local police who'd be dealing with locals doing that stuff. Um, so they brought people from afar. But doesn't that say something? Like, if the police don't want to do it to the extent that they have to bring in police from out of province, they that means the police know that there's something wrong. So if we had an internal police force with more sort of Albertan sentiments, they might have said, well, we're not doing this. And guess what? They would have been right to, for those who haven't seen the news, um, and I, we wrote it up, we discussed it on stream yesterday, um, but Dina Hinshaw's COVID lockdown measures have been struck down effectively uh, as unlawful, uh, unlawful and validated. So, so much of what we saw was an extension of, of laws that should never have existed in the first place. So, uh, some good news there. I also have later today a report coming out with uh, both John Carpe and Eva Chipiak weighing in on that. So a massive win. Um, yeah, you know, I, I don't mind, though. Part of conservatism is sort of not jumping to something if the numbers don't make sense, not leaping forward. That's what the other side does. So I don't mind the government, a conservative government, hitting pause on this in order to sort of say, listen, is this cost effective? Is this viable? Is this something that we can we can pull off? Uh, we'll jump now to a Toronto Star article. You can actually go to the Alberta government website if you want and read about this yourself. But I want to Read, let's read from the Toronto Star's perspective just for fun. Alberta announces six-month plan on, on pause on renewable energy, citing rural concerns. Now, this, I'm not sure if you've seen social media, but I, I think Denial Smith was trending, and, and people are going ballistic over another pausing. This is just a pausing. It's a very conservative thing to do. Let's, let's stop. Let's look at this, because there are a lot of concerns um, with with the massive booming renewable energy industry. Now, the concerns are, are, are pretty dynamic, but uh, we'll, we'll read a bit from the article here and then we'll discuss. Alberta's United Conservative government is pausing all approval in the province's booming renewable energy industry in response to what it says are rural and environmental concerns. In a statement Thursday, the government said that the Alberta Utilities Commission is to institute a six-month moratorium on approving wind and solar projects greater than one megawatt the commission will initiate an inquiry into the development on agricultural land, effect on scenery, reclamation of security, uh, and the role of municipalities. And, and I think this last one is really the ultimate one. It's the one I'm most concerned with, system reliability. So one of the issues with, with the massive sort of investment for folks out there who don't know is you can generate all the power in the world, but if you don't have a capacity to turn it on or off when you need it, it doesn't do you very much good. So you have all these people trying to sell electricity. They're just selling electricity. 
grid that potentially can't hold it, then to an extent that energy is wasted. Uh, I think I heard what you were saying. You you were cutting out a little bit there, um, but you know one thing I can I can add to that is the fact that yeah, it's there's one thing which is the matter of creating energy. The other thing is the matter of storing energy. Now you think about how we store diesel, how we store gasoline. It obviously everything has an expiry date. Uh, some way down the line uh but it, a battery you have to keep a battery charged and, and you also you think about the the influx in uh, energy in the system so during the day during the night there's a difference in wind energy uh how much can be you know the wind dies down during the night a bit uh but you have to provide a, a constant flow of energy to a system and let's say uh you think about a, a an energy production uh a site like a, a diesel generator that is you know a bit more uh, uh largely scaled for uh communities instead of just you know your truck or a couple plugins uh, these things have to be running consistently and it, what they'll do is they'll run on idle or a lower um, energy output while uh, the implementation of solar is uh, being propagated during the day and then they have to cycle up during the night to help offset the energy needs of night something along those lines i, I might be you know a, a little mixed up in the weeds here uh, but it, we we do want to diversify what kind of energy we have. And a good thing, though, to talk about is how we are pausing things for this you know little period. Uh, it is good to take these pauses. And over the last two years, especially with COVID and everything like that, a lot of us, I think, have unconsciously become uh, not uh, aware of, but we've we've gotten used to the routine that politicians put on us where oh, you're back here. I hope so. Can you hear me okay? Perfect. Yeah, we're perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I was just saying, we've, we've kind of gotten into this habit of, you know, every week or every two weeks, there's a COVID update. There's an update from the government. Um, and people want to hear the next thing immediately in a sense. We were demanding speed from our politicians. When in reality, you know, this idea to, you know, put pause for six months, it, in a sense, it makes a lot of sense. You, you do want to pause and assess your situation. If you're always go, 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 then you're going to miss a lot of stuff along the way. Um, and particularly in the case of windmills, well, I, I've heard from a lot of Southern Albertans who, who have expressed deep concerns about the windmills and about where they're putting them, uh, because this does affect their crops. This does affect their area in ways that people generally don't think about. Uh, and of course, there are other environmental concerns with windmills, like you think about uh, the birds. I mean, how many birds have died because of windmills? I laugh. It's a sad situation, obviously. But it's like we're, we put them in the path of the wind, which is also very useful for the birds as a migratory path. <laughs> and then we don't expect them to all, well, we, we don't expect them to, to die in the numbers that they are. It's, it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Well, and, and hopefully everyone can hear me. Sorry about that. I'm not sure what exactly happened. The audio seems to have just cut out on me. It didn't move or anything. But, uh, you know, the other thing that I find incredibly interesting is the amount of energy that progressives put into, say, stopping mining an area because it'll be an eyesore. Um, and then they want to, like, clear cut forests to put in solar panels and massive wind turbines. I'm sure the, the big wind turbines to them look like some sort of European socialist utopia. So maybe they like that. But for most people out there, putting aside, I mean, there's questions about about migraines and other concerns uh, being investigated. But um, compared to a pristine Rocky Mountain landscape, giant windmills, uh, not exactly the prettiest thing you've ever seen. So, um, yeah, the, it's interesting. Like Daniel Smith really cannot win with these people. Um, she's advocating for technology. She's not putting an end to this. Um, the sort of openness has led to a massive boom of these energies here. Um, but 
then she says, okay, we're going to pause for a bit because there's some concerns here. This isn't a stop. This is a pause to look at it. Again, like you said, a, a conservative move. Um, but, you know, the thing I wanted to touch on here as well is is this article. It's funny how it talks about, like, up to 19% of the power being provided. They're, they're exclusively talking about peak periods when it's the best-case scenario only. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not talking about the other times. And uh, that transitions us into our next article uh, here, which is Alberta Wind Farms Nearly Ground to Halt. This is actually from a little while ago. This is from April 5th. But I I think this, understanding this context, Daniel Smith would love to just have a bunch of massive, high-budgeted projects coming into the province, creating jobs, creating industry. But if those projects don't work long-term, they're going to become an economic burden instead of an economic boom. So according to Alberta's energy grid data, uh, wind and solar power production fell sharply Monday, and this was back in April, to 29 megawatts, less than 1% of the province's total energy capacity. Pipeline Online reported Alberta's energy output from wind plummeted to 0.8% capacity with 29 megawatts generated just after midnight. A great in-depth article there from Alex Dollywell. But I more so wanted to sort of touch on the fact that while some of these technologies are great, until every one of us has one of those Tesla cells in our house that can store juice for a couple of days, and we can take the power off the grid and take it when it comes in, store it and use it when we need it, until that technology is viable, we can't go down this route. We're not ready to yet. This is one of those cases of the government trying to leap technology forward when it's not ready to. We've seen it happen in other countries, the Leap Manifest, Leap Forward Manifesto in China, for example. Uh, quite a few million people died as a consequence of that. I'm not saying that's going to happen here, but I, again, I think this whole pausing because the technology's not there and, and, and taking time to consider, um, those other all those other considerations matter, but the grid stability thing is the biggest concern for me, uh, and I think it makes sense. Daniel Smith knew there was going to be backlash over this, but she also knew it was the right thing to do. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to see a government that has the capacity to do that, whether it's on addictions, whether it's on crime, or whether it's on uh, the, the massive sort of booming uh, eco-green industries that uh, maybe aren't quite as ready as they think they are. Uh, any thoughts on that? Uh, well, it's a big can of worms. And I, I remember uh, at the Global Energy Show here in downtown Calgary that happened a, a couple weeks ago, uh, Daniel Smith had a speech, Scott Moe was there, uh, a few politicians were there. And, and the talk of the town was uh, it basically playing both sides of the fence, right? Uh, you want to still produce your oil and gas, but you also want to have your hand in all these different pots. Uh, and I'm talking about oil, uh, oil and gas, wind, solar. You, you want to have your hand in all of these so that you can... In a sense, you have a stake in the game, but also so that you understand what's going on. Um, and if, like, the the big thing that's you know coming up with uh, uh, hydrocarbons and hydrogen energy and stuff like that, well, where do you get? Where are you going to get your hydrogen? Well, <laughs> you're going to get it from oil and gas. Um, you're just refining it twice, basically, is my understanding. Or maybe you'll change the way that you you process those materials, but. It, the the oil and gas industry is never going to go away and the faster people realize that the better i mean you think about your pharmaceuticals right you're you're you know so so needed so desperately loved drugs that the doctor will give you well how much of that is is reliant upon the oil and gas industry a lot uh you know you want to talk about plastic straws and, and you know we're doing all of this for the sake of the energy transition for the the saving of the planet right so what what do we do instead of uh 
getting oil from the hole in the ground that also gives us plastic straws we decided to burn down the or not burn down we decided to chop down the forest we could put up a bunch of solar panels uh, and then what do we do with the trees we turn them into wooden forks and knives uh, and spoons to replace the plastic ones that came from the hole in the ground we destroyed an entire forest for that you know for the environment it, it, it's gotten so delusional at this point it's it's almost hard to it, it is hard to address because it is so blown out of proportion it's turned into a fantasy land uh, I and mean, you look at Stephen Gilbo right the environmental activist who uh, uh, back in the day tried to climb the CN Tower to make a stance for Greenpeace and then now environmental protesters are protesting him I mean it's this weird cycle they go through and you look at the news about Christy Freeland recently and her driving around she says she doesn't own a car or whatever like that yeah she doesn't own a car but she owns a valet service right <laughs> like and the same thing with all of our elites Bill Gates our, our actors you know uh, Leonardo DiCaprio he'll go there and stand up at the United Nations and say the planet's going to blow up unless we change the environment and then he'll fly back home on his private jet Bill Gates every single day <laughs> not every single day I probably can't say that but he incessantly uses that private jet whether he's going to private island islands or, or fancy business trips around the world. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous, the double standard that's in play. Oh, absolutely. It's, if, if any of these folks actually believe this stuff, they wouldn't be acting the way they are. Even the amount of people who have oceanfront properties and are saying, oh, these are, these are going to flood. I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure if you believe that, you'd be selling off your $50 million mansions that are right yeah. on the coast. The hypocrisy is glaring. And the other thing, and I mean, this goes back to it, but let, let's look again at where the money flows. We switched not that long ago. We've talked about this on stream a few times. We switched from paper to plastic because plastic was a byproduct we could sort of naturally acquire from other processes. It was like using the leather from a cow you're going to eat anyways. Now we've switched back and we're clear-cutting forests to make these products. And then the, the, the resources that are available we're not using anymore. I really do wonder, though, how many people who are making these decisions sort of maybe – like we, we saw Ford – was had a connection to a company making decals and warning labels that they hired to to sort of put all over whether it be public transit or in restaurants or whatever. Um, so you wonder how much of a connection there might be between some of the people making decisions uh, and then some of these industries. But we are way overdue for a commercial break. Let's jump to that commercial break and then we'll come back. We'll talk a little bit. Uh, we'll get into some federal politics. Talk about Polyevra and Trudeau. How in the world could such a small group of people with limited resources change world history? But in fact, that's happening, and it's the power of the truth. The truth is like kryptonite. Healthcare isn't, in some sense, working very well. Foster Colson is thinking about this. He's got a new company, an online healthcare platform called The Wellness Company. Telehealth company called The Wellness Company. The Wellness Company. The most popular product is the detoxification supplement that features natokinase. Natokinase is the only enzyme that we're aware of right now that dissolves the spike protein. Spike protein is loaded in the body with the COVID-19 infection and definitely with the vaccines. We've been completely accurate on the spread of the virus, early treatment, on the deficiencies in hospital care, and now the deaths that are occurring after vaccination. This is a human outrage and it's occurring at the end of a hypodermic needle. Isn't it interesting? Natural substances combating this man-made disaster. Now, quickly, before we keep rolling with our stories here, I just want to mention for folks out there, one really cool thing with the wellness company is it's actually a group 
many of which are comprised of doctors who spoke out throughout COVID-19 and sort of questioned lockdown mechanisms. And if you think about it, these are folks who went to medical school, likely spent years building a practice. And then when they saw something was wrong, they put it all on the line. And many of them lost their jobs as a consequence. Now they're coming together to try and help people and restore that sort of pre-restrictions feel, um, if you catch my meaning. Um, so uh, if, you, if you're in need of sort of any of these types of services that they offer, uh, they mentioned there that spike support formula. Um, do consider supporting a company like theirs because they've been standing up against the stuff, stuff that no doubt many of you are concerned about from the very beginning. And like so many people out there, they've also paid a price, um, but they're trying to turn it into something positive. So kudos to the wellness company for the stuff they're doing as well as for supporting the work we do. So uh, I really appreciate that. Uh, you can actually use the code as well, REBEL, for 10% off your checkout, including on that spike support formula. Um, so check that out when you have a chance. <clears throat> on that note, as we mentioned, we're going to transition into some federal, federal discussions, rather. Um, and we've got a video, I believe, from Pierre Polyevre here um, on Trudeau uh, and his uh, love of red tape. So let's jump to that video clip now. We can discuss. By the way, we will also stand up against Trudeau's attempts to shut down natural health products. He's trying to shut those down. This is about nothing more than giving more power, more control to multinational pharmaceutical companies rather than letting Canadians have the freedom and choice to try different kinds of treatments. We need more freedom and choice, not less, in the health decisions that we make. Yeah, that's what we touched on earlier there. It's wild to see them going after this. And the only thing you can think of, I mean, this isn't like, oh, let's implement a couple extra restrictive measures. This is overboard. Um, I've talked to many naturopaths extremely concerned about what this federal government is doing and the attacks on their their industries. Um, it, it's wild. And, and if you look at socialized healthcare in general, countries like Canada provide the least innovation in healthcare. Lots of the treatments that we're implementing are, are, are archaic. Like the best analogy I can think of is like a NASA space shuttle. We're effectively using technology from the seventies while other countries are advancing, realizing that, that, that there's opportunities and actually developing um, so much of, and we talked about this earlier, the rhetoric of the left about preventative healthcare and, and uh, sort of preparing yourself before you're getting sick. Well, now they're saying, no, 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 scrap all that. We're gonna make it impossible to access basic vitamins that have been proven to help people. Um, and, and we're going to shift towards this sort of ultra regulatory um, industry where we give everyone farm and we don't, we don't allow all these other alternatives that have been tried and tested throughout time. Uh, can you think of any other motivation, Sid, for this like attempt to basically strip down natural healthy alternatives? I mean, let's. Uh, how conspiratorial can we get today? Um, <laughs> uh, it, it's it's difficult, right? I mean, I think about the food supply. I think about the the pharmaceutical industry, and obviously they're they're very tied together. Um, these are the nutrients that you know, allow us to live. Uh, you know, you should really be thanking our farmers for all of the food we have at hand. Uh, but the problem does come with the the narrowing of what we are allowed to consume, the narrowing of the the health strategies we're allowed to implement for ourselves. Um, you think about <laughs> like, look at the last two years with the pandemic. I mean, if I didn't take their shot, 
then I wasn't allowed to sit down at a restaurant. If I didn't take their shot, then I might not have been allowed to go to a grocery store in Quebec. And, and th this is the road we were going down is if you do not comply, then you do not get to live. Basically, I mean, they, they want to say, obviously, oh, no, we didn't force anybody to do this or that or whatever. I don't know how many people killed themselves over the last two years because they were their own family members were turning against them, saying you can't come to our family events because you're not vaccinated. Their bosses telling them you can't go to work because you're not vaccinated. And th this this ties into what Pierre's saying here. Yeah, sure, we want uh, uh, natural health products to be available. We want people to pursue those remedies and to bring them to light because more options is better if you're looking to protect your health. The government doesn't know what's healthy for you. They know what they want from you, um, and that's that's something that I think a lot of people need to have a little more perspective on. You know, I think about uh, Sheila Annette Lewis, uh, the woman who recently Alberta Health Services, they denied her a life-saving organ transplant because of her vaccination status. Uh, uh, this is the, the narrowing uh, of your health products, your, your, the nutrients you are allowed to consume. Uh, and personally, I'm of the belief that I should eat as much of what God created as possible. When it comes to the fruits, I want to try all of them. The vegetables, I want to try all of them. The meats, I want to try all of them, you know, to a reasonable extent. Um, but that's not something they want. They want you to have macaroni and cheese that came out of a factory for the rest of your life. This what is not healthy for anybody. Yeah, exactly. Eat the bugs. Eat the bugs. We'll grind them into a paste and like inject it through your, you know, your into you. Um, it, it's, it's absolutely horrendous. And I I think, you know, you don't want to talk about the end game in this. Why are they doing this? Well, why are they why are they boiling milk before we get to drink it? It, it, it? I'd like to know. I'd like to be able to have a raw, natural glass of milk and be more in tune with what our bodies were designed for, which is the natural environment we live in, not the factory made stuff that comes out of a machine that we're told we have to eat on a daily basis. I mean, for those people that are, are giving their children um, these, you know, pre-made boxes of you know this weird cut of meat a weird cut of cheese and a weird cracker that's your lunchable uh uh, I don't want to accuse Lunchable specifically of, uh, as a brand, but um, you, you talk about these manufactured meals. What health, what, what has that done for our health? What has yeah. uh, McDonald's, Tim Hortons, what have these, these massive industries done for our health? They've destroyed it. And here we are, we're trying to prevent the, regula uh, the regulation more in the food industry, in the medical industry, uh, in the, the health products that we're allowed to consume. How many doctors were, were terminated or shunned from the industry because they were uh, proposing other medicines that proved to be effective? during the pandemic and they're still not allowed back into you know the club as it were well and i think on that note like for example though and i think we'll redirect the malice towards the government because you don't have to have mcdonald's you can i happen to like it as the odd alternative i get a mcdouble with an extra patty that's my jam um but it's an option the government is isn't McDonald's isn't saying I can only eat McDonald's. My problem is when the government is trying to restrict. And and look, you look at like the, the USDA food guide, the, the onset of obesity within our culture stems from the onset of the USDA food pyramid, which in no yep. way mirrors what people have eaten throughout all of human history. It's a complete anomaly. And it was it was effectively grain farmers who are contributing to this agricultural directive to eat way more grain. And people take that as gospel. They actually think that that breakdown of nutrition is what's healthy. And these are the same people who are saying, who are saying maybe you should take some of these uh, injections or else you can't go to work. And they're now the same people who are targeting uh, 
sort of some of these health industries. And you know what's wild is if you ever had any apprehensions about some of the sort of naturopathic health alternatives, the government trying to take them away from you, particularly Justin Trudeau's government, is probably the strongest endorsement and proof that there's something effective about yeah. them that we've ever seen. Um, so yeah, it's sincerely concerning, and there's no reason for it. This isn't, oh, we're going to add a little bit of regulatory FDA-level control to ensure that these aren't coming out of sketchy Chinese factories. Everything I'm hearing is that they're trying to fundamentally undermine this so Big Pharma is the only way that you can seek treatment. Um, in other Polyevra-related news, we do have a, a video, I believe, um, of... Uh, Pierre Poly or is it just a tweet? Yeah, no, I think it's just a tweet potentially here. Uh, Pierre Polyev's conservatives are now popular with union members, immigrants, women, and young people. And this was achieved without flip-flopping to become liberal light. Now, some people might argue about that, but there's no doubt that that Justin Trudeau is losing even his base. And it is it is based on things like health issues. Like, don't get me wrong, there are there are hippies who we now see at freedom protests because of medical co coercion and because of attacks on sort of natural alternatives. And now, for people who are hard-working class people who have gone along with their unions for years and voted socialist or liberal or NDP or whatever it may be, those people, the little raises that they're getting for, for going along with their unions they're not offsetting the fact that house costs have doubled, they can't afford their groceries. They're saying enough is enough, and they're flipping the script. Um, Ezra commented on this as well, I believe. I think we've got a tweet from Ezra here. Union members are more likely to vote conservative than non-union members. That's shocking. Their union members are more conservative. They're nearly twice as likely to vote conservative than NDP. The NDP has become the party of woke leftists, a luxury brand, dedica brand dedicated to virtue signaling about global warming and transgenderism. Dead on. Like, there's always been sort of a disconnect in my mind. I don't know if you've noticed, too. I mean, you have a background. You and I have both worked hard labor jobs. Um, but there's sort of a mentality that sort of union folks are, are, are hardworking, salt of the earth, decent people. But then they were voting for, they, they seemed conservative, but then they're often voting for, for sort of leftist parties. Well, well, there's been a sort of a, a balancing of the force and they're coming back home to their roots and their values. They're rejecting what the unions have been telling them, the false promises that those politicians feed to unions and unions then push on their workers. And they're saying, no, I can't afford to pay my bills. And so I'm going to stop voting for this madness. Yeah, no, uh, to say the least. I mean, I, obviously there's, Depends on the union we're talking about, right? There's a lot of good unions, yeah. there's a lot of bad unions, um, and, and they're, I, I always err on the side of caution, uh, you know, when I would address them. But especially, you know, considering, and I, you know, don't want to beat a dead horse here too much, but over the last two years, I mean, did they stick up for their people? You know, did, did nope. were they defending people's rights as their their employers were forcing certain permanent medical procedures? Uh, I mean, I say permanent, but perhaps the medicines like the one in the advertisement we just brought up would hopefully change that for those who are looking to find a, 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 an out, uh, I guess you could say. But it, it, it is interesting, this this turning on uh, Trudeau and the liberals by extent, it, and it's about time. I mean, how many years has it been? And, you know, Let's, I don't necessarily need to harp on this too much, but you know, he did, he, Trudeau, Justin Trudeau can't keep his own house in order. What makes you think he can keep a country in order? That's the bottom line. Um, and it, it's going to go, 
in Pierre's favor by by the time that this uh, this these chickens come home to roost in the election. I don't see a way for Trudeau to maintain that support. And we were talking about this previously. The Hutterites and, and the hip-hop scene in Toronto were both mad at Trudeau. Every side of the coin here, everybody's getting getting to the end, uh, the end of the rope with Justin Trudeau. Yeah. So it, it really is, in my opinion, just a matter of time before he's out. And every day it looks more the case. So... Well, I've got very progressive friends who now as a sort of, it's become like an idiom or a, or a turn of phrase they use. Anytime something goes wrong, they say, thanks, Trudeau. Like, ironically, they're like, thanks, Trudeau. Like, like an engine light can come on and they say, thanks, Trudeau. He's gotten to the point where he's like a universal stand-in for things going yeah. terribly awry. But even you can be at local businesses. I was, I was filming an interview with Mahmoud Moura uh, yesterday. I'm the organizer of the uh, Muslim uh, anti-LGBTQ indoctrination protests here in Calgary. Um, and I, when I walked by, I had all my camera gear with me, and then I walked past a shop that would that was in a pretty trendy, progressive-ish area. And I go in, and the lady there goes, I won't say names, but the lady there goes, oh, uh, your your news. Then uh, I say I'm with Rebel. She doesn't say anything. I'm like, I'm in a progressive neighborhood, maybe not. Then some other customers leave, and she leans in. She's like, you know, the last prime minister who who couldn't keep his family together was his dad. And it's just immediately, like, it doesn't matter where you go. Nobody seems, and I mean, I'm not making light of the guy's personal struggles, but it's just no matter where you go and no matter what the walk of life, people people aren't behind him anymore. Uh, speaking of he, which, and we're, we're going to be one. quite literally Oh, he, he's. I just want to say he's quite literally an international embarrassment at this point. You, you've got high politicians from around the world looking at this guy like he's a joke. Why shouldn't we? Yeah. Uh, but you wanted to jump to the ad there. Sorry. Yeah. No. No. One more video here, and then we've got an ad here. Um, just to sort of touch on Justin Trudeau and wrap him up. This is a. Uh, this was posted by uh, Ryan Garretson on Twitter. This is a lesser-known 2021 campaign speech from Trudeau. It sums up just how vile and divisive this man was and still is. Uh, this video highlights how unwell this man is. No one has stroked anger or fear more than Trudeau. Let's play that. Over the last little while, you've probably seen the disturbing anger of anti-vaxxers and anti-maskers. You might have seen them marching downtown against local businesses that are following public health rules. Or yelling at a grocery store clerk or a server at your local diner. Or even threatening people at one of our rallies. Let's be clear. It's your freedom I'm focused on. The freedom of the responsible majority of us who are fully vaccinated. The freedom of our children under 12 who can't yet get their shots. Because that's what's at stake. And I will always stand up for your right to be safe. To be in places that are free from COVID-19. Your right to not be forced back into lockdown. So we'll stand firm on our commitment that federal public servants should be vaccinated. We'll make sure everyone on your plane or train is vaccinated. We'll protect businesses that mandate vaccinations from unjustified lawsuits. And we'll pay for the rollout of proof of vaccination programs for every province and territory. Oh, uh, can't hear you there, Adam. Sorry, can you hear me now? Not sure what's going yeah, on. Perfect. Yeah, the, the, the bizarre thing with Justin Trudeau is whenever he turns on that very serious voice of his, you know he's going to say something absolutely moronic. Like he, he never he never turns that on for really important 
Well, I mean, I don't know how often he's actually said anything really important, to be honest, but he always gets very serious when he's going to say something just truly awful and something fundamentally un-Canadian. And I don't, especially now looking back on that and just how wrong he is about everything he said there and how fundamentally, and I mean, the Ingram ruling here in in Calgary and the Alberta courts, countless rulings, the legal precedent now is shifting to just highlight how absurdly wrong that man was on this. It's wild. Wild to see that. Well, and I got to be honest, one thing that does actually upset me about, you know, the situation we find ourselves in uh, is the fact that it it, it does seem like there's going to be an election in the fall. At least there is going to be an election that does come eventually. Um, Is Justin Trudeau going to be held accountable for what he did over the last few years? Those who are in his cabinet, are they going to be held accountable for what he did over the last few years, for what they did over the last few years? Or are they going to retire and everyone's going to forget about it? That's that's the thing that I'm concerned about. That's that's the yeah. worry I have is that we're going to forget. I mean, you already look around now. You you sit down at a restaurant. You don't remember that you may not have been allowed to do that over the last few years. You don't remember the the punishment they put you through because realistically, most people don't carry with them all of that that negativity on, on a daily basis. It's just too much. I mean, there was curfews in Quebec. You think about the insanity that was done to us over the last few years. Of course, people want to forget. But if these people, these politicians, they go uh, uh, without consequence for their actions, which I mean, what was the news recently about the Canadian military, uh, that this was a, an unconstitutional enforcement of the, the vaccine mandate? Correct yeah. me if I'm wrong there. Um, that's, that's how far we got with this insanity because of them. And they're going to they're gonna hop off now. They're going to leave. They're going to uh, exit politics while they're sitting on high ground. Yeah. You know, it, well, it's, uh, that's one thing I think is a true shame. Yeah, and I, I discussed this, the interview that should be out either today or tomorrow with John Carpy and Ava Kipiak, uh, Chipiak, rather, excuse me. Um, we, we discussed uh, whether there would be sort of, I mean, for the Ingham ruling particularly, most of the people who were ticketed, harassed, faced jail, faced legal fines, were, were sometimes bankrupted trying to pay for legal defenses, forced to crowdfund. Thankfully, fight the fines helped over 3,000 people um, with legal defenses. But I mean, there was countless more out there who were in, in life-altering struggles. Um, and the way that they've set this up, it seems that there may not be consequences for the people who violated these laws. If you or I went out and violated people's fundamental Canadian charter rights, we'd be in jail, uh, no questions asked, but politicians seem to get a free pass. Um, but yeah, John Carpe does weigh in on that on our interview, so check that out. He can speak to it more authoritatively than I. Um, <clears throat> we're going to jump to one last ad break here, and then we're going to try and rip through as many of our remaining stories as we can. No matter what, God will bring us through, and I said, we will not bow down to your gods. For tickets, showtime details, and to see the trailer, please go to savethechristians.com. Yeah, I just want to encourage folks that we actually are very happy to announce that we have eight more screenings of this incredible documentary. If you haven't seen it yet, come to one of these live events. It is so much fun, obviously made by our very own Kian Simone and Sheila Gunn-Reed. Um, so in British Columbia, we have got, I'm just going to make sure I get these right, uh, on August 10th, we are in Whistler. Uh, August 12th, we're in Powell River. 
Um, and then I believe there's one other date there, but at least those two dates. Um, and, and, and Tamara Leach is also going to be there as well, signing copies of her book. So you get to check out the film in addition to getting your book signed. They're incredible events. I've done a couple of them in Calgary. It's so much fun. Uh, maybe there aren't as many protests occurring around you. You're going to see lots of those faces that you haven't seen in some time. Um, we also have, without Tamara Leach signings, a series of screenings here in Alberta. We're in Lethbridge on August 23rd, Red Deer August 24th, Edmonton August 25th, uh, Mirror August 26th, Westlock August 27th, and Grand Prairie August 28th. Uh, churchunderfiremovie.com is the spot to grab tickets to attend one of those events. They're a blast. It's great. Usually there's at least one or two uh, familiar faces from Rebel, maybe even some folks from uh, Stream on location. So do check out those events while you get a chance. Um, incredible film. Uh, it really sort of captured so much of what happened. Same way looking back at that clip of Trudeau highlights just how sort of unhinged he was. This documentary does an incredible job recapturing and, and sort of documenting for history what happened. <clears throat> Jumping into this next story, um, a story that there's there's a lot to say about, but um, a, a rally took over um, Portage in Maine uh, and they're, they're protesting effectively in Winnipeg for a landfill search for lots, lots of the missing uh, Indigenous uh, women, men and women as well, but particularly there's lots of men, uh, lots of women rather, who are missing. Um, and there are questions about the extent to which police are actually investigating this. Um, now, I know I believe part of the original uh, hesitancy towards searching landfills, one, there is an immense cost associated, and two, they're not exactly sure the extent of the evidence pointing that this is where these folks are. So, um, but I mean, on the note of this protest, um, it, it's incredibly interesting to see how the media, and I'm very sympathetic to these people, make no mistake, but when, when truckers were protesting and blocking roads, it was all vilification. Uh, a different group with, with a different agenda, also noble, whether it's setting up your medical freedoms or calling for legal accountability, um, and the headline is, it brought me to tears. Look how beautiful this is. There is an absolute glaring double standard there. Um, but the thing that I, the thing that really struck me with this, and it's a bit off topic, I do encourage authorities to investigate this, and and I, I do want to say this is self-evident, and I shouldn't have to though. But every life is, is equal, not necessarily in terms of outcomes or in terms of talents and capacities. But it doesn't matter if you're black, white, First Nations, wherever you come from. If there is a missing person, uh, we shouldn't we shouldn't allocate alloc uh, resources more or less depending on where they come from. A Canadian is a Canadian, whether they're First Nations or not. So authorities need to get to the bottom of this. And look, there's violence at record numbers, there's murders, there's addictions, all this stuff in First Nations communities, but they need to get to the bottom of where these women are. But what immediately jumped to my mind is they're talking about doing this massive undertaking to dig up this landfill and search for people. I have another suggestion as to a place that they could dig um, in order to find some answers and and, and heal some wounds, and that's in Kamloops. The well, amount of conversations. You know, go ahead. Please, please. I was going to no, say no, the ahead, amount of conversations that I've had with First Nations people who are heartbroken, and they are literally like brought to tears just talking about it. Some of them have been frankly fed lies that hundreds of millions of people were uh, First Nations people were killed in a genocide. 
That's what that's what they've been led to believe by the rhetoric that's out there. They are heartbroken and they're living within a reality that 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 isn't within it within a sort of scope that isn't real. They've been fed a, a load of rhetoric that's extremely troubling. We need to actually get into the ground and find out what happened and unveil this truth. Part of the truth and reconciliation is truth. And while we we can be looking for truth in this spot, certainly look through the landscape if it's viable, if evidence points there. But there's another place in Canada where a lot of hurt and ache has, has been sort of mustered up for First Nations communities. And I think they need to start looking for answers there first. Well, there's a bit of a catch there, right? You know, when you think about the burial grounds that were t discussed, um, it, it, it's not exactly like you can go dig those up uh, without causing some issues let's say with the community is my understanding i mean you don't dig up those burial grounds that's a very taboo thing to do um which is it puts everybody in a bit of a, an odd situation right it's like yeah we're saying there's 100 bodies under the ground are we allowed to dig it up nope so you know um although you know on top of that though i do think yeah and i'm actually i guess in a bit of a, an opposite position to yours um where this situation that's happening now with uh they want to go through this site and look for those bodies of the people that were potentially murdered or you know have disappeared um I, I think that actually makes a lot more sense i mean for the last few years we've been seeing there is a very large issue with native american women being disappeared um, and we don't understand the, the root cause for this, or we don't have a, a true grip on the situation. And, you know, we can dig up the past, but realistically, they got problems today, you know, and, yeah. you know, I kind of think about this issue too, in the, you know, the Black Lives Matter aspect, right? They want reparations, this and that. You go back a few hundred years, everyone was a slave, all right? Like, <laughs> I'm sorry, but uh, today there are more slaves than there were back in the day, and we all used to be in that situation. Uh, people don't look at the issues that are currently being had, um, and I think that would actually cause a lot more of a positive impact than trying to dig up the past. Everyone has a past. Everyone has well, thousands of years of past. Yeah, but the thing the thing is 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 digging the digging literally digging in Kamloops wouldn't be digging up the past. Digging up the past is what the liberal government has been doing to try and stir up emotions and divide people and hurt people. And they've fed into the rhetoric that has people believing that they were, they, don't get me wrong, I have no problem with mm -hmm. the, the use of the term cultural genocide. The federal government literally planned with residential schools to delete mm -hmm. uh, sort of First Nations history. That, that's It's in writing, that's what they planned to do. But they, they've perpetrated a lie and the federal government has been digging up lies. And my sole intention here, I'm applying the same standard in both instances. There isn't an, an and or or. If there, if it was discovered that a bunch of, let's say, I don't know, uh, my background's Hungarian, a bunch of Hungarian immigrants were all uh, subject to genocide in, in 1920, and there's a mass grave there, the government would immediately start digging and looking to investigate what actually happened. And I would suggest that if, if there was a whole bunch of white women missing, and there was a suggestion that they were in a landfill, the government would be looking. The problem is this federal government, and even provincial governments to some extent, treat First Nations people differently and not as well in many cases as they treat the rest of the population. So I'm not saying one or one or the other. I'm saying that there are two situations here where, yeah, investigate that, but th there's another situation here that is ready and present and is causing a whole lot of hurt, and they're not willing to look at either. Yeah. No, and that's absolutely fair take. Yeah. All right, in another, in another story, virtually unrelated, um, food influencer who ate all raw vegan diet dies of starvation. Um, yeah, I'm not a doctor, but I mean, eat a steak.
that's my suggestion. Um, the pictures of this person, and it's whenever you see someone, don't there's people out there who, through great extreme efforts, can manage to sustain health on a vegetarian diet. But the extent you have to go to, and it, it's not normal to our to what we've been through our throughout our, our human existence. Um, we we've we've typically eaten quite a bit of meat. When we don't, it's because, um, as the old proverb goes, it's usually because you're a bad shot. Um, but yeah, this is not surprising to me. You can usually see, you can watch vegetarian convert fitness people. Maybe for, for the first couple months, there's some perks, but generally their their skin starts to fade and they start looking a bit tired. This obviously taking it to an extreme, but uh, yeah, not not uh, not great to starve yourself to de death, um, particularly when you're in influence people. It is funny within society today, though, that you, you seem to have extremes. It's either people starving themselves to death or being quite a bit overweight and both of those things are celebrated being healthy in the middle or that that that's boring nobody wants that um you have to be on an extreme these days it seems to get by um any thoughts on that i know we're running tight on time so we're probably going to rip through a few here quickly well it's just it, it is a shame to see that this person's passed away but also what do you expect yeah. i mean a lot of people maybe they just don't realize that if you want to go full vegan that's a science experiment you are doing on yourself. That's not just like, oh yeah, I'm gonna eat carrots for the rest of my life, you know, no problem. No, <laughs> there are repercussions to either eating or not eating uh, a full diet. And, and clearly this is one of the, the problems that arose is this woman's passing because she was lacking certain essential nutrients that she couldn't, you know, fit into the science experiment that was her diet. Uh, and this not to say that was on purpose, it may have been unknowing, but either way, she's dead because she decided that it was a good idea not to not to uh, have certain nutrients in her life. And uh, I remember a story that happened recently. I don't know if this was uh, last year, but there was a woman in the States who I, I believe one or uh, a couple of her children, I think it was something like that, uh, had passed away because they were they were starved to death by their mother, who was also going along these lines of, you know, vegan activism. Yeah, you kids don't need meat to eat. That's, you know, a societal uh, uh, impression that they've left on you. Uh, I mean, the same thing happens with dogs, you know, a dog, a cat, I mean, let's use the dog for the example is they do need those kinds of proteins. Yeah, we have dog food. Uh, but if you try and feed a dog lettuce for the rest of its life, it's not going to have a long life. Yeah. Yeah. They don't have they don't have the stomachs for it to break it down. Um, we're going we're gonna to hit on a couple articles here really quickly. Jump in if you feel that you've uh, you'd like to weigh in. But uh, three that are, are very often uh, uh, connected. One, one you talked about a little bit earlier, though. But uh, so if you want to weigh in on this one, by all means. But Canada has no plans to decrease immigration amid housing crisis. New minister says so clearly those big shakeups in uh, parliament making absolutely no difference. Immigration minister Mark Miller is expected to announce Canada's annual immigration plan later this year, which will, will provides details on the number and categories of newcomers in this country. Um, as per the current plan, the country aims to invite 465,000 permanent residents and then 485,000 in 2024, and then 500,000 in 2025. Despite a crisis, their agenda of just, just increasing immigration doesn't, doesn't seem to, to, to be going anywhere. Well, and you know what, they're, they're trying to, you know, it, well, they're not going to reduce the numbers anytime soon, it says, right? But uh, still, it's the same issue as the issue with Ukraine, right? How many billions of dollars have we given them when we've got uh, hordes of homeless drug addicts on the streets that need help? Right. And, and here we are, we're telling, you know, 500,000 uh, people from around the world to come to Canada every year. And more and more, those people in, in their their own you know home countries are looking at Canada being like, oh, they're they're selling a lie. They're telling me I can go here and get a nice education and live in this fancy place. And then they get here and they're living in some, you know, single room basement. 
uh, and they're being provided horrible conditions for living. And I, I think that's important here. Sure, these guys, uh, you know, our, our current uh, elected officials might want to increase or continue on the propagation of uh, allowing uh, migrants into the country. But I think more and more, those people who would be migrants are looking at other options around the world because they see Canada is turning into a dumpster fire. Well, I've literally heard stories of like people coming here from the Ukraine, uh, from Ukraine, yeah. I should say, rather, and then going back. Like going back to a yeah. country that is currently at war because it's better well, than the than the slum they're living in in Toronto. Imagine if you landed in downtown Winnipeg, and that was your life. You, you, that's where you have to live now. I'm sorry, but like downtown Winnipeg <laughs> is a, a very stabby place, you know. And, and in, there's a lot of winter, other places around the world have, that are pretty. And you don't good. have a house. Yeah. Yeah, and, and in Let's negative forty for conditions. Let's qualify for Winnipeg friends. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. So. Um, uh, and and it, it feeds into some of these other stories here, like housing is unaffordable. There's a lack of housing. You're bringing people in. Um, some some of the folks who come in are very wealthy and can't afford this stuff. Make no mistake. Um, but but there's a housing crisis as well here, too. And then you continue to just bring people in en masse where there's nowhere uh, for them to live. Not to mention, and this is our next article here, and we're going to hop through a few, a few really quickly. But a Barry area woman uh, watches her mortgage payments go from $2,850 to $6,200. Now, I don't know what the exact terms are, and I don't know why your terms changed two years after moving. Maybe it was on a variable rate. But I mean, as since Justin Trudeau has been in, I believe it's that mortgages have mortgage payments and rent have doubled just in the time that Justin Trudeau has been in. That's that's wild. Don't get me wrong. Prices are going up, but inflation is caused almost entirely by the government printing money and by spending irresponsibly. And, and we're seeing people suffer as a consequence, which transitions into our next story. Not only are prices going up, but people aren't making money anymore. Um, they're approaching this, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy uh, mentality very quickly. Canadian business insolvencies at their highest level since 2014. So not only are houses skyrocketing, but businesses are struggling, shutting down, and not only as a result of COVID-19. Obviously, lots of people lost everything throughout that, but it's getting worse than ever now. It's it's people can't afford it and they're not making money. It's it's being uh, sort of the the candles being burnt at both ends. Canadians are struggling, and I think that's why we're seeing this massive shift in the polls. What's wild though, and this is our rapid transition into our next story, the government is spending so much money. More money is going missing than past governments have spent. Trudeau's accrued more debt than I believe all prime ministers in this country prior combined. But our military, in the perspectives of many, and uh, this is a poll on how Canadians see the military, more than half of Canadians, 56%, see the Canadian Armed Forces as old and antiquated, and 75%, I believe it was, said that they believe that government spending should increase to basically provide these folks with what they need. So the government keeps spending, but everything seems to be getting worse. And, and they're not only not taking care of the veterans, they're not taking care of the current active soldiers and providing them the equipment they need. Yeah, maybe government spending isn't the answer. <laughs> I think yeah. that's the same. That's the same answer for everything is government spending isn't the answer. Yeah, that is that is it in a nutshell. Um, finally, I think we'll just touch on this one article here. It is from yesterday, but I don't think we had a chance to discuss it. I'm sure folks are aware, but Trump pleads not guilty to federal charges that he tried to overturn the 2020 election. Donald Trump, once again, has pleaded not guilty on Thursday uh, for trying to overturn the results of his 2020 election loss, answering for the first time the federal charges that accuse him of orchestrating a brazen and ultimately failed attempt to block the peaceful transfer of 
presidential power. Trump appeared before a magistrate judge in Washington's federal courthouse two days after being indicted on four felony counts by Justice Department Special Counsel Jack Smith. The charges accuse him of trying to subvert the will of voters and undo his election loss in the days before January 6, 2021, when supporters stormed the U.S. Capitol in a violent and bloody clash with law enforcement. You know, I'll pick your brain on this. But the thing that always jumps out at me is like the amount of crazy stuff and questionable content that probably every president in the history of the United States has done um, that most people would probably be in pretty illegal heavy fire for unless unless we unless Trump gets the Hillary treatment and ultimately nothing comes of this, like with the emails and with this other stuff. Does it not seem like there seems to be I don't and I don't know if it's just the media paying more attention to it, but there seems to be a concerted effort to sort of get or at least discredit Trump. Of course. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if he's going to run for president again, uh, any anybody who runs in that position, they're going to do everything they can to try and discredit them. Um, and obviously Trump, I mean, he's a very theatrical guy. Uh, he, he knows how to engage with the audience. And he's done that quite a bit, obviously, over the last few years. And they want to shut that down. I mean, look, <laughs> look at Joe Biden. Right. I mean, what, what kind of president is he? What, what kind of person is he at this point? And I mean, no disrespect. Like, I, I honestly, when I was looking at the uh, uh, back in the day, the, the debates that were taking place between Biden and Trump, I felt bad for Joe Biden. I still feel bad for him because he's an old man who's dying and who's basic. He, he, he's lost. He's gone. And I, I actually feel extremely bad for him in this position. I don't feel, you know, bad for him in regards to his actions through his entire life. But as an old man who's clearly you know, less and less by the day. I think it is a very horrible thing to see him as president. And you put him versus Donald Trump, let's say, as you know, we're talking about him. How how could how could those two even have a conversation at this point? I mean, what would Joe Biden say? He would not be able to keep speed with Trump. So if it's going to be those two, uh, if Trump's going to be running again, then yeah, I'd do everything I could if I was in their shoes to shut him down too. Yeah, I mean, it's don't get me wrong, and everybody knows this. Trump is brazen. He knows this. He sort of welcome welcomes conflict. Lots of people out there saying that he, he's sort of. I don't. And I I don't necessarily agree with this, but um, thinking that Trump in his in his uh, planning and strategy, this will ultimately come back to help him. But yeah, you're dead on with that stuff. I mean, uh, Joe Biden is starting to look a little bit like Weekend at Bernie's, to be entirely honest. It's uh, he's pretty much being paraded out there, and I I don't know what their strategy is. I don't know what their plan is i know there's been talks that he's going to run again joe biden but i mean i don't know what they're going to do if if, if trudeau is not willing to come out and have a debate he's at least got the capacity to stand on his own two feet and put together something resembling sentences joe biden he he can barely get get through a speech when there's a prompter there and a team sort of facilitating him so the the next election if if it does get to the point where trump can actually run and he wins uh the republican nomination if it's him versus biden that's going to be something else if you felt bad about the last debates Oh boy, oh boy, it's not going to be a pretty sight this time around. Uh, Sid, that's all our time for today. We went a bit over, but we had a lot of stories to get through. So uh, any final thoughts for the folks before we wrap up? Uh, well, maybe just uh, the one thing is amnesty. Uh, I wanted to touch on that before. You know, Daniel Smith talked about amnesty. I know that maybe fell apart a little bit, uh, but we talk about the repercussions in a lot of these businesses that have been obli uh, obliterated by the COVID lockdowns and the stuff. And we see now where these health restrictions came from, uh, in a sense. Uh, now's the time for amnesty if it's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, we did have one chat come in from Salty Duke. He gave us five dollars. He said, "Indigenous communities claiming mass graves. No, they will never have to provide evidence because of cultural sensitivities, which is entirely right. 
we're being manipulated. It's a grift. And, you know, I think for most of the people out there, when you actually talk to not, and there's a lot of really good chiefs in this country who aren't on board with this, make no mistake. There are some chiefs, though, who know by keeping this veil up and not looking at the facts, they can continue to sort of uh, ask the government for things. And this government that uh, tells veterans and other groups that 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 they that it's too much to ask. Well, for First Nations communities on this front, they're willing to dish out and not ask too many questions. Many people have suggested the reason they haven't dug is because of it gives them an opportunity and some leverage to negotiate. So definitely, I wouldn't categorize the vast majority of First Nations people as participating in that, but there are certainly some influencers who are uh, high up within the ranks of First Nations communities who seem to be playing games rather than seeking honest truth and reconciliation for their communities. So thank you so much for that chat, Salty Duke. It's been a great show, Sid. Thanks so much for joining me. I want to thank everyone in the studio for doing incredible work making this uh, stream possible. And most of all, I want to thank the people at home who are watching, wherever you're watching, we couldn't do this without you. You make this possible. So thank you so very much. As always, I want to thank you all so much for tuning in. For Rebel News, I'm Adam Sose.